I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome again to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Every fortnight we bring you a mixture of features and discussions exploring every aspect of gardening, plant care, pest control, garden design, growing your own fruit and vegetables and container ideas, plus expert seasonal advice on what you should be doing in your garden right now. I'm Tony Dickerson, one of the RHS's team of horticultural advisors based here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. Coming up in this episode, a perfect pond for everyone the benefits of water in the garden and how to choose the right pond for you. And, as always, we bring you the latest news on RHS gardening events across the UK. But first, I'm going to join my colleagues from the advice team to discuss some of the key jobs to tackle in the garden in the next few weeks. I'm Lee Hunt. I'm a horticultural advisor at RHS Garden Wisley. I'm Guy Barter. I work here at Wisley in Surrey in the RHS garden on this uh, lovely wet day. I guess at this time of year for a lot of people, end of summer, long gone and uh, quite a depressing time of year. But of course, for us gardeners, um, no time of year is depressing. And in fact, autumn is as exciting as any, Lee. What should we be looking out for now in the gardens? One of the things that's doing really well at this time of year is dahlias. They go on right to the first frosts. One of the ones I particularly like, it's called Tarahiti Ruby. Now, Tarahiti Ruby, it's very much a sort of uh, vermilion scarlet colour, really vibrant, so shines out on these dull, damp days. And it's a waterly type, so you get rounded petals, much flatter flowers, so you can imagine it sort of floating on the surface of the water. It's one you need to put other colours with. So if you've got the dark ones like Arabian Night and the pom-pom ones, pom-poms are little balls, Big balls are literally ball dahlias. So uh, again, things like the germander, uh, they look really good together at this time of year and they keep on coming. And I guess, of course, uh, ornamental grasses are a, a really good filler and feature in the garden at this time of year because they will go on for so long right into the, the autumn. And um, here at Wisley, we will be looking to cut them back actually in late winter, spring, uh, the evergreens every third year, the deciduous obviously each year hopefully if the weather remains mild salvias will continue in flower and uh, with the relatively warm summer certainly here in the south we've had a really good display and uh, they're likely to go on and say until the the first frost gardeners looking for something for a difficult situation japanese anemones um, a plant that some gardeners struggle desperately to get established um, for others they become highly invasive and a bit of a nuisance but if you've got a difficult bed or portion of the garden a very good plant and again color right into uh, late autumn 
One of the, the other tricky spots is underneath trees. And at this time of year, there's one of the little gems that comes out to fill that little gap with colour. And it's the hardy cyclamen. So we're talking about things like cyclamen, heterofolium. And they do have rather ivy-like leaves in shape, but they're often marbled as well. Don't get the leaves at this time of year, however. It is the pink and uh, sort of pinky shades through to white that come and they just literally get little stems popping out the ground with these uh, flowers dotted when they're really established you almost can make carpets underneath the tree uh, really uh, become a feature on the, their own so where often it's quite difficult to grow grass or it's bare because of the, the shade um, putting them in gives you a, an amazing show at this time of year Certainly under deciduous trees where obviously over the winter there'll be very little of interest. The, the highly patterned leaves of cyclamen hedrifolium, the ivy-leafed cyclamen, certainly very attractive even once the, the flowers have gone over. Um, and the other cyclamen to consider, which will flower near around the Christmas period into the new year, is cyclamen coom. And again, those will just extend a season of interest over the winter when, as I say, there's not necessarily an awful lot in the way of flowering and so on in the garden. Uh, Guy, what's currently uh, on most gardeners' minds? Well, um, most uh, gardeners have got uh, fruit and vegetables that are ripening away in their garden. Uh, as the temperatures fall in autumn, uh, as summer ends, and as the sun uh, gets lower in the sky and as the days get shorter, the ripening slows down, so you have to be patient here. As soon as things like pumpkins and squashes and marrows have got good hard skin and ring hollow, then gardeners can hustle them inside and uh, store them away for use in the winter. And people are always wondering, how do you know when a, a pumpkin is, is ripe? And the answer is it develops its full colour, and when you give it a tap with your fingernail, it has a kind of hollow ring to it. Tomatoes, of course, as everyone knows, go red unless they're yellow tomatoes when they go yellow or whatever their background colour is. Um, but when the conditions outdoors get too adverse, um, they can often be brought in and ripened on a tray in a warm room or in a drawer. And um, apples and pears, you can tell when they're ready to collect, when they're ripe, because uh, they start falling from the tree. Gardeners are very perplexed by pears because if they fall from the tree... Uh, they, um, they're probably overripe and they're gonna, not going to be able to uh, ripen in store like an apple does. So the trick with a pear is to wait until it's just about to fall from a tree, which you can tell by slipping your hand under it and giving it a bit of a lift, and then tasting it. If there's any sign of sweetness in it, when it's time to pick it and let it ripen indoors, if on the other hand it's bitter and hard and you've got to leave it a little bit longer, and uh, pears can go on ripening until quite late into the autumn. Uh, and Lee, I mean, going back to dahlias, uh, uh, of course we are asked about when to cut them back. And I suppose the same applies to canners and some of these more tender plants. So what's the advice there? There's very much the traditional wisdom that it should be frosted. The plants like dahlias will go black once they've had a touch of frost. But if we have a good long season, you get to that point where you're thinking, I'm going to have to take them in anyway, um, because Basically, you often need to move on and get other things planted like your bulbs. So once we get towards the end of October, certainly early November, if we hadn't had the frost and you do need to get them in, um, then is the time to basically cut them down. Take a fork and go very gently around the bottom and then lift them out of the ground. There's always this issue, should you lift them? Should you leave them in the ground? If you've got very light sandy soil, doesn't get too wet in winter, then you can definitely try leaving them in the ground 
just put on a good six inch layer of mulch. Um, it can be soil. It's, it's just trying to make a thick layer on top to prevent the frost penetrating. But if you're on a heavier soil like clay or one that does get wet, they are really better lifted. So then what you do is pop them somewhere cool but airy. And the idea is to try and really dry them out, not sort of um, to the desiccation point, but you're trying to get um, all that excess dampness off them. Then they can be stored somewhere cool but frost free over the winter. And then you'll be starting them off again in February. Guy, uh, pests and diseases, um, I guess they're always with us. I mean, this time of year, in terms of diseases and so on, what, what sort of things have been troubling gardeners? Well, at this season, um, as the summer runs out, uh, moths um, in particular are on the wing. They've built up to p- quite large populations in many cases during the summer. And we're beginning to see moth um, pests. One of particular interest, but as yet of only local incidence, is the box tree moth. Um, and at the moment, it's only found in the uh, southeast in Essex, Buckinghamshire and South London. Uh, but it's uh, one that's likely to spread um, happily. Moth pests can be uh, controlled quite readily by insecticides. Uh, but it's just one more task that people don't want to do. Another moth that's become widespread, it started off in the Kent coast 50 years ago. And now it's spread all over Britain is the leek moth um, that turns leeks to raggedy uh, looking for plants and uh, leek growers up and down the country are now growing their leeks under insect proof meshes insecticide is not terribly effective and it's the uh, the last um the last few generations of the cabbage caterpillar uh, of the moth and the large cabbage white that are, are busy making holes in cabbage family plants at the moment including nasturtiums uh interestingly the box tree caterpillar moth and the cabbage caterpillar both look remarkably similar being yellow with black bands and as a result um, we're being showered with cabbage caterpillars which people are sure must be the box caterpillar um, but i'm delighted to say there's one good bit of news and that's the box caterpillar only eats box and doesn't touch anything else so all the other caterpillars are, are quite separate I guess autumn uh, for gardeners again is a, a busy time of year in terms of various activities and so on. Um, I guess top of the list for many gardeners will be actually um, bulb planting, Lee. Yes, I'm awaiting the arrival of a big box of bulbs as we speak. And I always think, right, well, I want this and I want that. And I order it and then the, the huge box comes and I'm thinking, right, now I've actually got to plant them. Um, but some of the things that I'm really pleased to be coming this time um, work really well from last year. So I sort of learnt from my own experience here. One of them, it was called uh, Grand Perfection. This is a tulip, flowered in May, and it was um, a creamy uh, yellow, but then had a more red flame coming through it. So it was like one of those Rembrandt tulips. And I put it with a little, also pale yellow um, daffodil called Pipit, and uh, the combination of the scented and then the, the striking sort of stripe with a little carpet of wallflowers through work really well. So that's what I'm repeating. But I've got some new varieties and I think this is a, a good tip for anyone. Try and choose your favourites and something new because you'll always find that some last longer than others so that they're, they're worth having because you get more display out of them. Some do better on your soil and persist. So keep trying. That's and something I do every year. The RHS Advice Team. You can find more information about all aspects of gardening techniques and plants on the advice pages of the RHS website.
go to rhs.org.uk forward slash advice. Autumn is also a perfect time to tackle plant diseases that you already have in your garden and to prevent diseases in the months ahead. Here's RHS plant pathologist Jenny Denton. Hello, I'm Jenny Denton and I'm going to talk to you about common diseases at this time of year and how you might treat them. Um, One disease that we get lots of inquiries about at this time of year is brown rot um, and it affects a lot of different fruit trees including apples, pears, plums and cherries and it causes these um, buff coloured pustules to appear on the fruit in concentric rings. Um, It's caused by a few different fungi called monolinea. It spreads particularly by wounds caused by birds and what happens is the fruit becomes mummified and the pustules will then form onto the fruit um, and these will remain hanging on the tree to infect um, branches and the the, uh, blossoms in the spring. Um, So it's best to try and remove these. You can also prune out affected spurs. Just check that they don't have a true preservation order or that you're in a conservation area before you start doing any pruning work. Also clearing up any fallen fruit with with pustules and um, burying it at a depth of a foot to 30 centimetres will also help to minimise spore carryover. It's not a good idea to prune um, prunus at this time of year, so cherries, plums, apricots, um, because they're particularly susceptible to chondrosterium. Uh, this, co- this fungus causes the disease known as silver leaf. Uh, the fungus is naturally present in the leaves, um, but it it's actually forms small uh, overlapping brackets, which are sort of a purpley-violet colour, um, hence its name, Chondrosterium purpureum. These form on, on branches and stems, and they release a toxin into the wood. Uh, you can usually see if it's present um, by these fruiting bodies or by the bar- dark staining that it produces in the wood. Um, this toxin causes the epidermis of the leaves to come away, um, causing a sort of silvery sheen to the leaves. Uh, it's not just prunus that are affected. Rhododendrons and laburnum can also be affected. Prunus species are better pruned um, over the summer, so April to July, um, when the sap is rising and there are fewer of the, the brackets uh, present releasing their spores. It's a good idea at this time of year to start tidying up, so... Um, clean up leaves that, and, and if they're infected with things like powdery mildew or rusts these are fine to put into your compost heap at home however if you've got diseases such as rose black spot um, these are best disposed of at your council green waste or um, again you can deep bury these a foot deep 30 centimeters deep things like cankers and fire blight though are best to be burned or um, disposed of off-site at your household waste or council refuse site. The same goes for things like honey fungus. Get rid of those off off your property. Also, as the weather's cooling and it's uh, damp and cool, um, you might uh, have a problem with things like downy mildews. Um, So if you're collecting seed from your perennials, such as aqualegia, just check the plants are healthy, as some downy mildews can be spread on the seed. Um, Downy mildew will cause chlorotic yellow patches on the upper surface of the leaves, and you might see a grey, purplish, fuzzy growth on the underside of the leaves. Um, If you're planting bulbs, it's a good idea to check the bulbs at this stage, so Just be careful to look for sclerotia. These are small 
brown or black rubbery structures which uh, uh, look a bit like mouse droppings. They might be seen in the outer scales. Um, these uh, can germinate and carry the disease into the growing season. RHS plant pathologist Jenny Denton. Remember, one of the benefits of being a member of the RHS is that you can get free advice on any gardening problem from the team by phone, post or email, or in person at any of the RHS flower shows. If you're not already a member, why not find out more about its benefits? Just go to rhs.org.uk forward slash join. I'm Tony Dickerson, and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Now, ponds. A pond can make a lovely addition to any garden, large or small. Container ponds even allow those without soil in their outdoor spaces to enjoy the pleasure a water feature can bring. However, without care, ponds can soon become an eyesore with overgrown plants, weeds, and water that is unhealthy for fish and other wildlife. So occasional cleaning and regular maintenance are required. Here's Bernard Boardman from the RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey to discuss the pleasures of pond keeping and how to choose the right one for your garden. I'm Bernard Boardman and I work in the fruit department at Wisley but formerly I spent a lot of time looking after the ponds down on seven acres and managing the water lily collection outside in front of the lab there. So I'm quite familiar with the garden pond and I've actually got three of my own at home. So I've learned quite a lot over the years about what to do and what not to do. Having a garden pond just changes the whole dynamic. You bring so much life into a garden as soon as you put water into it. I know a lot of people worry about having ponds, especially if you've got small children. But what I would say to you is that involve the children and then they learn to manage as well. We always wanted to have a pond and we had two young sons at the time when I installed the first one. So what we decided was they would help me build it. They were only sort of the eldest was five but he was quite happy to get involved with helping dad. So it all becomes fun. Don't do it in a rush. They get involved right from the start with managing and understanding what is actually going on in the garden, what you're creating, why you're doing it, because you're going to bring in. You don't have to put fish in a pond to have life. Uh, Very, very soon after we'd finished our first one, we were seeing frogs and dragonflies and damselflies who will just hunt out any piece of water. It's such fun, and the birds, of course, will come down and drink and have baths. So to have a bath, there needs to be shallows. And if you've got very shallow edges to your ponds, it makes it safer. So it's much easier to have youngsters around ponds when they can don't want to encourage them to use it as a paddling pool but if there's an, if they do stumble they're only going into very shallow water and it's less likely to be uh, hazardous the one problem we had with this first pond that we put in was actually where we'd sighted it and i hadn't realized just what an influence airflow would have over the pond it's in quite a windy spot and it's in quite an open spot so when it's very hot and when it's windy the water will evaporate so what i would say is that 
try and if you've got any choices about where you can put a pond try and put it somewhere where it's fairly sheltered not in full sun but you don't want to be in dense shade either and if you can stay away from big trees that's always good because build-ups of leaf litter in ponds can be a problem the quickest way to build a pond is to buy an instant molded one they're a little bit fussy to fit because you've got to make sure that they're dead level and you don't get a lot of chances of putting that right ponds made out of liners are probably the most versatile because you can make them fit whatever space you've got and you can make them as deep or as shallow as you want them to be if you're going to keep fish in the pond there needs to be a patch of of the water where it's a couple of feet deep so they've got somewhere to go when it's very cold probably the most expensive pond to build but in many ways the most long lasting would be to make one out of concrete it's slightly a lot more engineering involved but far less likely to well you can't puncture them and they won't crack in the same way that molded ponds sometimes can and the other thing to remember is if you're going to be ambitious and have waterfalls you need to make sure that the lower pond in the system is the biggest one and this is so that when the pump starts it's pumping water from the big pond at the bottom to the smaller pond at the top you don't notice the drop in the water level if you've just got a little pond there to suck water out of you'll see it go down when it comes to planting ponds um, an awful lot depends on on the shape that you've made it leaves that make if you're building a pond yourself and this is where the liner really comes into its own you can make shelves at different levels and so you can choose the plants that will grow on these different levels of the pond and i would strongly advise that you go to one of the bigger garden centers and just have a look at what's available to you and you will see there any aquatic plant that's on sale will tell you what sort of depth of water it needs to be at water lilies some are more suited to deep water than others so again have a look at that most of the modern water lilies will grow quite happily in a shallower pool Bernard Boardman from the RHS garden team at RHS Wisley. You can find more information on ponds, pond plants and pond maintenance on their RHS website, rhs.org.uk forward slash ponds. And if you'd like to find out more about creating container ponds, why not listen to our feature on these innovative space-saving solutions in episode 34 of the RHS Gardening Podcast. You can download this and all previous episodes of the podcast completely free from iTunes or at rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast as well as the stunning displays of autumn color in all four of our rhs gardens there are plenty of other attractions and events coming up in the next few weeks join our gardeners at rhs garden rosemore on the 25th of september for core gardening skills autumn four demonstrations of practical gardening techniques you will find useful at this time of year the demonstrations will cover hedge cutting tree planting soil cultivation and planting spring bulbs members 12 pounds non-members 22 pounds if you love propagating plants and want to take your skills up a notch, join us at RHS Garden Wisley on the 30th of September for Propagation The Next Steps. 
Learn how to increase your stock of plants with hardwood cuttings, division, root cuttings and bulb propagation. There'll also be a guided tour around the propagation glasshouses at Wisley. Discounted places are available for RHS members. Learn how to photograph fungi on a one-day workshop at RHS Garden Harlow Cart on the 2nd of October. This one-day course will cover equipment needed and techniques used to obtain successful pictures of fungi. Please bring your digital camera, tea and coffee provided. Get a seasonal update on what you should be doing in your garden at RHS Hyde Hall on the 3rd of October. What Now October and November is a two-hour workshop covering dividing and planting perennials, bulbs, protecting tender plants and cutting back. Discounted places are available for RHS members. As always, full details of all these events and more on the RHS website. Go to rhs.org.uk forward slash gardens forward slash what's on. And finally, don't forget the penultimate RHS London show of the year. See, taste and buy mouth-watering produce at the RHS London Harvest Festival show, a foodie feast celebrating the taste of autumn on the 6th and 7th of October at the RHS Lindley Halls in Westminster. For more details, see rhs.org.uk forward slash London Harvest. So that's all for this RHS Gardening Podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight when RHS experts will be tackling more of your gardening questions. Until then, remember to follow us on Twitter at the underscore RHS and like us on Facebook. For now, from me, Tony Dickerson and all here at RHS Garden Wisley, goodbye. Walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.